Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. In the seventh chapter of our Lord's revelation to St. John, John sees a vision of a great multitude which no one could number. Who were these? John had been in and had seen the church in a state of almost constant persecution since his Lord's death, and he himself was in exile on the island of Patmos at this time for preaching the gospel. Surely a mass so large, so uncountable, could not be the church. At this point, one of the 24 elders comes to him and asks, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? John answers, Sir, you know. And surely he does. And so he says to him, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, this is the church triumphant. These are the saints, the elect of God of every nation. They are an uncountable multitude of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues. They are those whom God has saved by his grace from among all humanity through the death of Jesus Christ, who is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they know that God alone is the source of their salvation, for they cry, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This group holds palm branches in their hands, the ancient symbol of victory. For these saints, these elect, partake in the Lord's victory over sin, death, and the devil. They wear white robes, the color of purity, and holiness. But how has it come to be that they are pure and holy? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But the elect of God, like all humanity, are born in sin and are thus clothed in this life with what amounts to filthy rags. St. Jude says in his epistle that by virtue of our sinful nature we wear garments defiled by the flesh. And not only is original, this original garment stained and defiled by the flesh from birth, but it is continually made worse by our daily sin. But the saints that John sees are not clothed with defiled garments, but in robes that are white and that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Through Jesus' blood, it is that we are cleansed and purified. He is pure, and so is his blood. And God has decreed that his blood is for the purpose of washing away sins. As John wrote in his first epistle, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And this cleansing of sin by the blood of Christ comes to us and to all the saints through the word and sacraments. 
for these are God's means that he has instituted to deliver this cleansing. Through the word, Christ is apprehended by faith, and one is justified, and sins are forgiven for his sake. In baptism, Paul writes to Titus that God saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Ephesians, Paul writes that Christ sanctifies and cleanses the church with the washing of the water by the word, making her pure and without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. This alone can come through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from our sins and makes us pure. So it is that we wash our robes originally defiled by the flesh and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Yet even though we have been justified by God's grace through faith and our sins have been forgiven, in this life we continue to sin. Thus the Christian, the saint, continues to struggle against this sin. As Jude writes of the faithful, they hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. The faithful hate their sin. They hate its defiling nature and so struggle against it war against it and put it to death. They do so and can only do so because they have been washed in the blood of Christ, because they have been cleansed, reborn, and renewed. If one was not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, they could not do so. But those whom God has given new life by his Holy Spirit and in his Son are, by this same dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, able to mortify the flesh, so that we may live in him. In light of this, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he describes our sanctification, which is the will of God for us. Thus, the garments of the elect, of the saints, of those who believe in Christ, are purified through the work of God in us. So we look forward to this time of resurrection, to the time when the vision in Revelation becomes a reality. For not only do we now struggle with our sin, but the whole of this life is one of cross and trial. Our Lord said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we see throughout the scriptures that this life is one of carrying the cross for those that believe in Jesus. Even God's people, Israel, wandered in the wilderness and its hardships for 40 years before entering the promised land's rest. As it was for them, so it is for all of God's people. And this is for our benefit, as we hear in Hebrews, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. And Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second epistle, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us for a far more exceeding and, ex and eternal weight of glory, which we did not look, while we did not look at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. 
For while the things that are seen are temporary, the things that are not seen are eternal. Yes, now the people of God face afflictions and sufferings in both body and soul. Many face want and lack, hunger and thirst. There is sickness and disease and the body not working as it should because of the general effects of sin. And the Lord allows these afflictions and lays upon us these crosses so that following Christ in his cross, we might also follow him in his glory. There is persecution, as we have seen time and time again throughout the history of the church, and out of which have come many martyrs, in which we see the meekness of the saints as the world attacks them. But there are also crosses of the soul, many of which our Lord numbers in his Sermon on the Mount. There are those that recognize that they're poor in spirit, that they face great anxiety of soul, knowing that they cannot please God by their own merits. There are many that mourn over their sin and how they've offended God and acutely feel in themselves his wrath or sin. There are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness knowing that their own righteousness is like filthy rags. Many cry to God, and it seems as if he is silent and does not hear them, because he does not answer in the way that's desired. Yet he does hear, and he knows the pain of his children, even gathering up their tears in his bottle. Yes, now in this life the Christian bears the cross. As the psalmist says, God feeds them with the bread of tears, and gives to them tears to drink in great measure. But now is not the end. And David writes, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And again, those who sow in tears shall reap joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. For while God now grants us crosses, he will remove them in time. And no matter our cross, great or small, inward or outward, if we have washed our robes in the blood of Christ, if we have been made clean by God and declared righteous for the sake of Christ, we shall be among that uncountable number. And see the glory which God grants his saints and how it is far greater than any cross. Our Lord says of them, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be filled. They shall obtain mercy. They shall see God. And the elder describes the glory of the saints to John, saying, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them, and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so that we might be encouraged by these great promises, let us look at how God will comfort the elect in the true fulfillment of what has been of the promised land and the rest that we have in Jesus. First, they're before the throne of God. And being before his throne, 
with all of their sin gone, with being cleansed and forgiven, being perfected and made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit, they shall see God, as our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount. And how wonderful it will be to see God face to face with all sin having been removed. For to see him in this way is to know him and to be like him. As St. John writes in his epistle we read this morning, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Thus, seeing God and being near his throne is not only looking at him. No, in seeing him, we partake in the highest good, for God is that highest good. In seeing him, we will have every godly desire fulfilled in ways that we cannot begin to imagine in this life. For God is good, he is love, he is wisdom, he is beauty, he is light, he is clarity, he is riches, he is strength, he is salvation, and he is every other good thing. To think on it is to exclaim with the hymn, Oh, what their joy and glory must be. Next, we hear the saints of God who in this life trusted in him alone for salvation, serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne dwells among them. This is the fulfillment of what we experience now, but in far greater measure. St. Peter calls the church a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so we hear, and so we are here, that, pardon, and so as his priests here on earth, we proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And even now, we are members of the kingdom of God. So too, now as priests, as his members of Jesus Christ, we are being built through the Holy Spirit into a holy temple of the Lord. All these things find their fulfillment in this chapter of Revelation. God will be in our midst and dwell in us in such a way that there is no need for a temple like there was on earth. God now indwells with us and makes us his temple, but the indwelling in Revelation is far greater, for it is eternal, unchanging. And through the death of Jesus Christ, he has made us kings and priests to our God. So we will eternally sing his praises and offer to him the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and join in the unending worship of the angels. And while we have heard already that in seeing him we shall be like him and have all our desires fulfilled, so too we hear that our needs and problems are taken away. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All the trials and tribulations and crosses which we bore in this life will be taken from us there, and in their place God will give us joy and gladness beyond measure. All those things which afflicted the saints of God in this life will be gone. And those who are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ will have all that is lost returned to them in abundance. There God will supply for all our needs 
of body and soul. There we will lack nothing. No more will the soul faint under his wrath, nor will it doubt his love and compassion. No more will a soul be anxious, but instead all believers will know and experience in its fullness God's care, love, and compassion. All will confidently and perfectly trust in him and love him. All the tears that we have cried, tears of sorrow, of repentance, of mourning, of shame, will be wiped away by God himself, for he knows all that we have endured. So tender-heartedly he cares for those whom he calls his children, who have been born again to a living hope by faith in Christ Jesus. Finally, the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of living water. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who had become like us by taking on our flesh so that we might become like him in glory and everlasting life by being made partakers of the divine nature, will shepherd us. He will watch us and guide us. He will lead us to living fountains of water, that is, the Holy Spirit. For as it says in John's Gospel, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow living water. But he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. Yes, through him, the Holy Spirit will dwell in us, be present with us, and refresh us with his gifts and graces, just as a cold stream of water refreshes the weary on a hot day. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. And may he grant that we be steadfast in this faith, that we might come to the unspeakable joys and riches and glories which he has prepared for those who love him. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless and preserve you always. Amen.